What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey guys, this next segment is brought to you by the Blackhawk Group. Blackhawk Group offers an unparalleled customer support service combined with top-level classroom installations and equipment servicing. They have years' worth of experience in this field, experience that is unmatched by competitors anywhere. Learn more about Blackhawk Group at www.blackhawkgroupllc.net. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Empire State Conservative Network podcast. I'm Pete. This is Evan. We have a special guest on today. But before we get to him and what we're going to be talking about, we just want to go over who this podcast is for. So first off, if you're new to the show, welcome. Empire State Conservative Network podcast is for folks who live here in New York who are conservative and who are tired of being neglected by local and state politicians. And you're also tired of being treated like a leper by friends, family, co-workers for thinking differently than they do, mostly because you're right and they're wrong. Today we have on Dr. Chris Smith-Meyer. He's an adjunct professor at both Penn State University as well as the University of South Florida. We're going to be talking about his new book, The uh, Criminal History of the Democrat Party. So, uh, Dr. Smith-Meyer, thank you for coming on. There it is. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. So, Um, so, so uh, let's get let's get started and talk a little bit about what made you write this book. It, it sounds uh, it sounds very interesting, and obviously, it's a different spin on education than what we tend to learn growing up. So, um, one of the reasons that I started writing this was because I've been involved in politics for a long time, and I started to notice that when a Democrat does something wrong, it's it's an isolated incident. But whenever a Republican does something wrong, oh, it's the end of the world. So I started going back and I'm like, well, how long has this been going on? Has this been going on since Kennedy or when does it go back? And it actually, um, the more I dug into it, the more I found out that's how the Democrat Party started was somebody did something not quite right and didn't follow the rules and then they expected to be treated differently. So I started the whole way back with Jackson, which was the first Democrat president. And then I worked my way up every president through uh, Buchanan through the nightmare that was Woodrow Wilson and um, up into the Obama years and looked at how it's really a double standard that we can't continue to allow to happen, that they're ignoring these crimes. And then when a Republican just says something wrong, it becomes the end of the world. Yeah. And if you look at the same way that they did to George W. Bush and you had, you know, Bill Clinton had his issues, but when everything that Bush did was the end of the world. And then when stuff started failing during Obama, he blamed Bush. And then when stuff goes well during Trump, they give credit to Obama. <laughs> it's that's really that's what they do. They take credit for everything and take blame for nothing. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where we build up a system where they they try to polarize every issue, and then whenever it's something that they get caught on the wrong side of the wrong pole, they said, "Oh well, the Democrat Party and the Republicans switched parties in mm-hmm. the 1960s." And it's like, no, the Democrats have always been the party of exploiting people that were vulnerable voters, like um, immigrants. Um, African-Americans and uh, the Irish at one point. And the Republican Party has always been the party that says, okay, we don't want to deal with the identity politics. We want to bring everybody in. This is the big tent. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets an equal voice. And that's really what we've got to go out there and start talking about in the communities is that we are, we want everybody to come participate with us. Um, They say about um, the Republican Party being anti-gay. There's the log cabin Republicans. Mm-hmm. Is is there a homosexual Democrat group out there? I haven't been able to find one that like my friends would go to that are homosexuals, and it becomes such an issue that they just say, "Well, we the Dem- or the Republican Party doesn't do this," and it's like, "Well, yeah, the Republican Party does do this. Where is it that the Democrats are doing it?" Because if you look, they 
try to identify everything. You try to polarize everything. They try to make you um, pick a side. If I think that abortion is completely wrong, that means that I, they, both of you to be my friend have to think that abortion is completely wrong. Whereas if you're a Republican and you say abortion's wrong and you say, well, I believe in it at four months, mm-hmm. some Republicans will still accept you and say, okay, I don't agree with you, but you can still be part of our club. And it's really becoming scary that whenever you read the Green New Deal and stuff like that of what's coming out, and where, when did it become that we want to be a nation that depends on the government as opposed to a nation that depends on ourselves and we just want the government to make sure that people don't come invade us and that people don't steal off of us. We want to do our own thing. We want to make our own money and we want to make our own choices. We want to be able to uh, buy sodas without taxes. Um, yeah, that was someone that was actually, wasn't that proposal? Uh, that was Bloomberg, Bloomberg yeah. yeah. Mayor of New York City before de Blasio. Yeah, so that had very close to home. So you mentioned something before that I found very interesting. And this was something that we were taught growing up. And we, I, I think we were in one of the same history classes at some point. We went to high school, yeah. So um, you talked about the, the alleged switch between the Democrat and the Republican Party. We talked about this a little bit, I think, on our last show, where it's almost like, the New England Patriots and New York Jets just switching everything. So they, they maintain the history of the previous team. They're just changing names and everything. Why, where does that come from? Did you examine that in the book? And, and if at all, could you give a quick synopsis if you do? We, we, we examined it a little bit. Whenever we look at how the, um, the Democrat Party, like I said, has always exploited new voting blocks. And we had the 1960s roll around where African-American and women were given voting rights. And these were people that were new to the voting thing, like a lot of, especially in big cities like New York, Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, the, um, the white male voting people, like me, you, me and you guys, um, they had been through the political ringer for almost 150 years or 250 years at this point. And what happens is that, yeah, there was a lot of people that were exploited by it because the Democrats could go out and say, well, they don't care about you because this is what they're doing. And it was the, what is, what's going on right in front of me, not what the long, long game is, where we're trying to help improve and take drugs out of the community. And a lot of people see that as, oh, you just want to arrest black males. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it is. They're arresting white males too. They're arresting Hispanics and Asians. And they said, well, oh, there it is. The Republican hates, they, they hate blacks now. And it wasn't that. It was we were trying to go in and help the communities um, get the criminals out. And the Democrats just took it every time there was the slightest mistake or there was the slightest gaffe. And um, especially whenever, like, the Republican Party denounces somebody for saying something racist or saying something sexist. The Democrat Party doesn't play the um, admonishment. They just play the mistake in the first place. And that's where it came from a lot of was that they – it was all propaganda. Mm-hmm. And people started buying into that because um, there's this myth that all the Dixiecrats became Republicans. Right. The last remaining Dixiecrat politician was uh, my former senator from Florida, Bill Nelson, before Rick Scott finally got that problem out of office. And they keep saying all the all the Dixiecrats became Republicans. And it's like you literally have a Dixiecrat sitting in an office in Broward County, Florida, Oh, that God. was voting against this stuff 50 or 40 years ago. And it's like, what? and that's another problem that we face is that the Democrats have been in, there are people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have been in there that they have been on both sides of every major issue over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming a joke. And even um, 
with the uh, young congresswoman from New York that I know you guys are so proud of. Um, <laughs> even the way they're treating her, like I don't agree with any of her policies, but there is a modicum of respect that, that office deserves. Mm-hmm. And they're treating her like she's basically um, kind of like they treat your public school teachers up in your area. They just, <clears throat> they're good whenever they need the votes, but whenever they don't need the votes, uh, well, you guys go back to your classrooms that don't have heat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it's that identity politics. It's, I will use you every four years or every two years. And then whenever they turn around, it's like, okay, well, when are you going to start taking care of the people that um, took care of you and got you into office? And for the last uh, 150 years, it hasn't happened. Yeah. And they, they do that all the time. That's exactly how they operate. And if you, like you said, they're on both sides of every issue. They were all for border wall and border security when Obama was in office. And the second that a Republican president comes out and goes, we need to enforce the border. It's, it's racist. He's a racist. He hates all Mexican people. And it's not even the case. And then you have these people who don't bother watching things like the state of the union because, Oh, Trump gets me too upset. And then they don't hear him go, no, we want immigrants from Mexico, but we want legal immigrants. And they don't hear this message because it won't get played on CNN and it won't get played on any of the other major news networks. And they keep pushing that false narrative that Republicans are racist. They don't care about minorities. We had um, on Khalid Rodriguez from the black conservative movement. It's a huge movement that's growing amongst young black people who are joining the conservative movement but it gets no play and no one understands that no one hears about it. So no one knows that it's going on. Yeah. That's um, like uh, uh, Kanye and Candace Owens with the Blexit movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's a big thing. <clears throat> I deal with um, a lot of people down in Florida and one of the groups that I'm dealing with right now is the black Republican caucus. And they're out there. They're, they're out there in the communities, not only registering votes, because when you see Democrats registering votes, all that's all they're doing. They're out there working the soup kitchens. They're out there helping people, like helping elderly people keep their lawns clean. And them and the young Republicans are actually contributing to the community and making it a better place. And really, if you want to look for a local hero, look at, um, look at the young Republicans, because they're out there in the field they're helping people out. They're not just out there. Hey, could you sign up to be a voter? Oh, you don't, you want to be a Republican? Ugh. We actually had problems with that at um, one of the campuses I teach at where there were, there was a Democrat group registering voters. And um, if you said that you're registering Republican, they wouldn't give you a registration form. And I actually had to take it to the administration and they were asked to leave. But um, that's all the further it went. And they were back two days later because they pulled some strings and uh, then I sick the local party on them and, it was hilarious, but um, <clears throat> it's one of those things that we've got to get some of the good work out there that we're doing and like how Republicans are out there helping in the community. They're not down in Puerto Rico with topless lobbyists raising money for political campaigns. We're out there trying to, well, yeah, we want to get your vote, but we also want to raise money to help with children's hospitals. Um, Trump's uh, promised to overturn or um, eliminate childhood cancer. That's not a short term thing. But that's something, that's a goal that we can, everybody can get behind that. Nobody wants cancer kids to suffer. Mm -hmm. And um, we really need to get that message out that that's what a lot of the young Republican groups are doing. That's what a lot of the women's federated groups are doing. And um, if you don't know about them, nobody knows about the women's federated groups because nobody talks about them. The media just pretends like, oh, there's no such thing as Republican women. Right. (laughs) Yeah, because in order to be a woman, you have to be pro-choice. Of course. You can't be you can't be pro life if you're a woman because that goes against every everything that women stand for. Mm-hmm. And I've had that people have that reaction where I was having a conversation with some people at work and this woman goes, 
oh, her, her daughter's 16 and she's pro-life. And I'm like, how is that a bad thing? Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> making her choice to be pro-life, to support the lives of unborn children. How is that a bad thing? No one's trying to put women back in the kitchen or trying to take away any rights that they have. This is a young woman who has enough conviction that she's going to stand up and say that she's pro-life. I think that should be commend- commended instead of condemned. But then, of course, they'll, uh, they'll commend Chelsea Clinton, who allegedly left her church at six years old because of the abortion policy of her church. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, it just really, uh... <laughs> it becomes it becomes farcical at some point. And I'm pretty sure they're um, a satanic church. So it might have been a little <laughs> different. <laughs> they um but another thing is um i was watching one of the fox casters a couple of weeks ago and a woman was telling him well you're not you're a man you're not allowed to have an opinion on this and i was really hoping that um he would have come back and said well i was a fetus at one point so <laughs> yeah. kind of, um, i think we all fall into that category i'm pretty sure nobody was hatched yeah so um like those arguments then they're just they're guttural emotional arguments they're emotional arguments that play against the facts they don't even play like ignore the facts they're actually actively going against the facts the democrats claim that they're the party of science you've got to look at climate change because we have all these scientists out there that say this and neil degrassi tyson says this and bill nye the science guy who has a bachelor's degree congratulations on your bachelor's degree bill he says this and then there's it's not ended policy it's like them saying roe versus wade is settled law it's not. It's a Supreme Court precedent. It is. Um, yeah. The court, court can turn it over any day now. Um, and with uh, the image, uh, the game of where's Ruth that we're playing right now, you start to wonder about when we're going to get another person. And then I heard recently that there's a possibility that um, Justice Thomas is thinking about um, hanging up his robe this summer, which would give Trump a, a fourth or fifth pick. Mm hmm. So um, the argument that it's settled law, it's settled science, it's settled anything, when there's still debate on it, is a major problem. And um, one of the most disturbing things was the New York abortion bill recently that came out. And people are like, well, it's settled law now. It, it's supported by Roe versus Wade. Well, Roe versus Wade said states had oversight over that, that there was a right to reproduce which by some perverse logic they said there's also a right not to reproduce which is really rough case law and so that would mean that the ohio heartbeat bill that's established law now that would mean the georgia and the alabama and the texas and the oklahoma law and all these laws that are saying when there's a heartbeat it's a child those are established laws or we could start digging even deeper and look at the established science that as soon as um, conception whenever the sperm meets the egg and it's separate dna it's no longer the mother it's separate dna it's another little human being that's established science mm -hmm. but where's this whenever we have these um comical judiciary committee hearings where they're standing up there grandstanding where kamala harris and cory booker are fighting to try to get their presidency and who knows what macy hirono is up there trying to get because she's grandstanding like she wants to be un general secretary or something <laughs> and it becomes so so weird like it's almost like you walk out and you read what's going on in the real world and then you go into washington and see what they think's going on and there's an old story about how rome ran its best whenever the uh, couriers quit taking the messages outside of the city that they just let the politicians think whatever they wanted to think and the people just ran the country on the outside. Now, if we could just stop the couriers from coming out of Washington and not have not pay attention to them, 
and just let the country run itself like it was designed to be where the states had power and really build up and go back to the constitutional republic that we were. Mm. Yeah, we're a long ways from that now. Um, so I, I wanted to, we, we have a mailbag situation where we have donors who, who subscribe to us and that they pay us monthly or annually. And part of what they get is every Friday, they get to ask our guest questions, or if we don't have a guest, they get to ask us topics. But obviously, knowing you were coming on and, and promoting the show, they had some questions about working in academia, which you could definitely shed light on. Um, so the first question from Mike, was what's it like being a conservative in academia these days? So you, you teach at a couple of different universities. So I know you, you mentioned some issues with young Republican groups and whatnot. Um, but what have, you, what have you found that's been like um, at both locations? Is it any different or is it about the same in both? Um, I, I, I teach mostly online for South Florida because it would be a hell of a commute from central Pennsylvania to yeah. South Florida. Um, so I don't deal with that much. I do deal with a young Republican group down there a little bit and, uh, talk to them. They seem to be pretty stable because, um, I work mostly in the business school, which is generally pro conservative. Um, at Penn state, um, there is a young Republican club at the campus that I teach at. Um, they're very active. Um, last time I checked, I think they had like 65 members, which is huge for a campus of under 4,000 people because most students don't get involved with politics. Mm. And, I found that it's kind of interesting because I've actually, um, now this isn't one of my current campuses, but um, I actually was sat down and talked to by a supervisor asking me if I could keep my politics out of my classroom because I previously had a book called The Realistic Republican. And I'm sitting there listening to her talk and say, well, I don't grade kids based on what their political values are. I want them to think for themselves if they want to be Democrat, Republican, socialist, that's their choice, but I want them to be able to defend their position. And while she's talking to me about this she has 45 i counted them while she was talking obama bobbleheads oh my god that she gives to students when they come in <laughs> asking me about how i can keep my politics out of my classroom and i actually found that as a professor a lot of my best students were democrat students who they'd come to me and they the first thing they always come into the classroom they'd stay after class the first day and say i looked you up online you have a book called realistic republican I'm a Democrat. Is that going to be a problem? And I said, no, it's not going to be a problem. You can write papers on how bad the Republican Party sucks as long as you can back your stuff up and prove it. And they turn out to be some of the best students. And there's turn out to be students that come and ask me for letters of recommendation afterwards. Because, I mean, some of them are still very liberal. Some of them, um, whenever they started, because a lot of them take that challenge to see how bad the Republican Party is. And then they get back there and realize what all the Republican Party has done for this country. And they actually, some of them have converted to being a Republican and some of them stay Democrats. Some of them, um, uh, there was a big phase where there was a bunch of Bernie bros coming out. <laughs> but the, the environment is hostile, but it's a hidden hostile. Like no one is going to come out and say they're not going to hire a Republican, but I've actually recently been asked, um, I had a speech canceled on a campus because I was going to speak about the First Step Act, which by and large is basically something everybody pretty much agreed on. The Congress supported it, both sides, the president supported it. I think there was like 18 people that didn't vote for it. But I was, I was actually had my speech canceled because somebody looked up and saw the title of my book and they're like, oh, we don't want a conservative here, conservative here talking. And so it's there. It's very present. And they let you know that because you're allowed to talk about liberal things. I've actually heard a person lecturing to their class 
on that Hillary Clinton was um, disliked by the Republican Party simply because she was a woman. We they didn't want to talk about the um, the nightmare that was Whitewater, the dead people list that follows her around, the what else? Um, the yeah. Uranium One deal, <laughs> like just everything. But no, it's just because she's a woman. It's just because how she was born. Right. Um, Not that she's the spawn of Satan and her husband is a rapist. <laughs> <laughs> None of those things, you know. <laughs> they didn't want to deal with that stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, so academia, um, there are a lot of, um, we call them closeted conservatives, like because they're not allowed to talk about it, but they um, are very active. Um, I know that some of the Republican clubs for the kid, students have a hard time finding a uh, sponsor. So if you have any academics out there watching your show, if you have a Republican club that can't get a sponsor, step up, help the kids get a get a club so that they have, once they have the sponsor, they can run the club and actually they'll get up there and nobody does more work spreading the word about um, what the Republican party has done than the college Republicans and the young Republicans. They are, um, they are our best asset as a party and they are the future of our country. And um, um, you guys both appear to be about my age. So I hope you guys are both signed up for your young Republican club in the area because up into 40, we're still, we're still considered young Republicans because our old Republicans are like 102. Right. <laughs> this next segment is brought to you by items for all occasions. Items for all occasions specializes in helping you sync up with what you need for your events, promotional needs, whether it's announcements, cards, giveaways, invitations, tchotchkes, or video books, they have you covered. Learn more about Items for All Occasions at www.itemsforalloccasions.com. Yeah, and, and then um, you know, stay in academia. Another question we got from the mailbag was, does any, you know, I'm not sure how familiar or not you are with other departments in the, in the university. Does anyone actually take these critical race theory classes or, or, or these types of things? Do they take these things seriously? Or how is that typically viewed um, from your experience on a college campus? Um, the professors sometimes, um, some, the people that do the research and it take it very seriously, the rest of the people sit there and um, listen when those people talk and we have to listen to them. But most college professors, now I know that there's this huge stigma that everybody in academia is liberal. Most people are in the middle of the road or don't want to be involved with politics. We have a massive population of Indian American um, professors in the United States um, because nobody in the United States wants to do um, statistics, mathematics, physics, and that group of that group that have come over from India, some of them are Indian American, some of them maintain their nationality. They want nothing to do with politics. Mm. They wanted to come in They're They're paid to do a job. They're not paid to talk about it with the students um, as to whether they take those classes seriously or not. They're kind of forced to because those classes are called general education classes. Um, I just put out a piece a couple weeks ago about how if the United States wants to deal with our educational debt, that one of the things we can do is get rid of general education classes. Mm -hmm. Because if you go to school to be a lawyer and you go to school to be a doctor, um, why do you have to take underwater basket weaving or some specific racial groups history class? Whenever all we're Americans, every racial groups history should be in the book because right. we we should be learning about it all. It should, you shouldn't need a special class. You shouldn't single these people out and say, hey, look, they're different. You should be saying, hey, they're American. They have a history and they contributed to our country. And we should be damn proud that we have them. And we're not one of those countries that if everybody doesn't look alike, they get stoned or they get thrown off of a building. 
Right. So the kids have to do it. The kids have to take it pretty seriously, but, um, a lot of them, what they do is they try to take their uh, general education classes freshman year, and then, then they get to get back into their more academic classes and their upper division classes later in college. Okay, cool. And, and the last question we had from the mailbag was about, I'm sure you know what happened at Evergreen College a year or two back with Brett Weinstein and everything. Uh, are, are you familiar with the situation over there? Not super familiar with that. What went on with that one? Oh, okay. I probably read about it, but it's there's been so many scandals that it's hard to keep up with. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So it, it's in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon, and basically there was a professor there, Brett Weinstein, who's actually pretty far left himself. But they had this day on campus where all the minority students, faculty, and staff wouldn't show up, kind of to show how important they were to the community. But there was a year, a year or two back, where they decided to do the opposite. So all the white students, faculty, and staff shouldn't show up, and the minorities would go on campus. And then um, this professor came out and he wrote an email to pretty much everyone on the campus, got published in the newspaper. And he essentially said, this is, you know, essentially reverse racism. The original tradition in and of itself was meant to show how important these people were. And now you're trying to demonize everyone else for trying to acknowledge you. So it was a little bit hypocritical. So what ended up happening there were there were these riots where it was almost pitting um, the, um, the minority students against um, this one professor, and they essentially took over the college, and it was this whole big thing. Um, uh, but, but, I mean, this happens – this, this is an extreme example, obviously, but it's kind of like when uh, you let the inmates run the asylum, so to speak. But uh, if you're not familiar, if you don't feel comfortable commenting on it, then uh, – I've seen stuff like that happen, not as extreme as that. I've yeah. had um, um, African-American students come to me and say that um, – they've actually been singled out um, at African-American events for not being black enough. Wow. Because um, most of the campuses I teach at are very um, Northeastern rural. So um, diversity is something that we welcome, but it's not something that's a strong point in this area that, and we try to encourage more of it, but sometimes they go too far and they tell students that they're not embracing their tradition enough. And a lot of these students are, like you said, they're part of the uh, conservative movement. And they're saying, well, my history is American. My family has been here for 10 generations. I'm not a brand new immigrant. I've been here for years. In fact, some of these people have been here for longer than the, uh, like some of the Irish professors. And I live in a German Irish area. And they said that whenever they're told, well, what area of Africa are you from? it's kind of insulting because a lot of these people's records were destroyed purposefully by the, whenever they, from the South, they moved from the South. I mean, some of these kids have history that their family moved up from the underground railroad to become free. And like, they have such a rich history and they became artisans and um, professionals in Pennsylvania and in New York and Ohio. And then in North States where it was, this diversity was welcome, which by the way, were all Republican States at that time. And then they're, they feel like they're being singled out whenever professors are like, well, what country are you, what country are your ancestors from? And I told them that the response you say is the response that I give people whenever I get asked. I mean, my last name kind of gives it away, but I say, I'm a proud American mutt. And that's what I'm proud to be. And I, a lot of the students um, started using that. And there was actually an email sent out to the school that they were not supposed to use that term anymore because it was derogatory. And I actually went to the um, diversity office and I said, it's not derogatory if you're using it about yourself and you're proud of it, that you're proud of your history, that you're proud of your, that you're an American, that you're proud that your bloodline might be so diverse that um, 
people can't track where you came from, that you're 23 and me um, looks like a pizza for a party rather than just a solid one Keller. And um, I think that's what makes our country great. And that's what makes our party great is because we bring people in and we welcome that. And whenever students want to give their history, if they're going to tell me about the underground railroad and how their, how their family overcome tr problems and tr they triumphed and they became successful and they went to college and they're the third or fourth generation of college students. And I was the first generation of my family to go to college. So, I mean, some of these kids have a college legacy longer than mine. And I mean, that's the story we need to concentrate on, not what boat brought your ancestors across against their will, but how your family overcome this uh, corruption and racism that was prevalent in um, our country's uh, darker days. Yeah, and it's that victor versus victim mentality. And the Democrats play on that all the time, and the liberals play on it, and they want everyone to feel like a victim, and they want you to feel like the government owes you something. Because if they can promise you what the government owes you and you buy into it, then you're going to be on their side because they're going to, like AOC, if people who don't, who are unwilling to work will be able to get, you know, salary. It's like insanity instead of, you know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what your past was. I'm not, you know, my, most of my family was killed in the Holocaust. I'm not going to Germany tomorrow and demanding reparations. You listen, it's horrible. It happened. We move on. That's, that's the way it is. And we, my, my grandfather came here. He served in the military. He was a post office worker. He, you know, he made his family Americans. He never, he never regretted not being German. He never, he regretted losing a lot of his family, but he always said, and my uncle said the same thing. My uncle passed away. Was it a week and a half ago? And he I said, no matter what side you're on, just remember, no matter what's going on in politics, you live in America. You are the luckiest people in the world. We live in the greatest country in the world and no one can take that away from you. Yeah, and, and that's where we need to be. Um, the way I look at, um, you brought up AOC's uh, Green New Deal. <laughs> uh, the way I look at it is like that first scene from um, 300 where the, where the Persian emissaries come into Leonidas and he says, All, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this. All you have to do is kneel. And then he says, well, that's kind of going to be a problem. And that's, that's the American way. It's, we don't want it given to us. We want to earn it. Right. We want, we want to go out and we want to work. We don't want to be sit there because when you depend on the government for the food, you depend on the fact that the government's not going to cut your food off. Right. You depend on um, the government isn't going to declare that you are no longer a person or that you're, you never were a person or that a person should end their, what was the words? End your carbon footprint at about 80. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just start <laughs> euthanizing old people. Yeah, they they talk about Republican dog whistles, and it's like, okay, that is just flat out calling for the murder of a third of our population to help deal with something that, like I said, isn't established science. And I'm I'm a big environmental guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I completely believe we need to cut back our carbon dioxide emissions. I mean, I go down and I go to Somerset County, which is a big coal industry, and you talk to them, and those coal-fired gas plants that Obama shut down were cleaner than the plants that produce lithium batteries or that produce solar cells because they had taken 98% of the carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide and heavy metal emissions out of the smoke. But then Obama came in and said, well, if you can't take another 10% off of that, off of the whole number, not that mm -hmm. we have to shut down. And how do you take 108% of the emissions out of something? It's just, it's, not it's almost like we're dealing with a party that's just bad at math. 
Yeah. Oh, they're really oh, bad yeah. at math. They are extremely bad at math. I sometimes wonder if, if they really are that bad at math or if they're just making this up as they go. <laughs> and they're hoping that nobody picks up on it. Like, everyone's phone has a calculator. I don't even need to go find a calculator. My phone has one on it. Mm-hmm. I can add up everything they're saying as they're saying it. Like, they do understand what an iPhone is. Like, the Democrats understand these things, yet they continue to spew nonsense and people buy into it. It's baffling. It really is. It's baffling. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, they know what iPhones are. They go out and wait in line for them for eight hours whenever everybody else is ordering theirs offline. <laughs> <laughs> and then they complain about capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. While they're taking um, Uber to Starbucks to get their $6 latte. Yep. All right. So, so um, I know there's one more thing you wanted to talk about, and that was your recent piece about the whole border wall situation. Obviously, yesterday, President Trump, and earlier today, he actually explained it on, on live television this morning talking about declaring a national emergency. So you went into this a little bit. So why don't you break it down for us and give us your thoughts? Um, well, one, I, I'm very disappointed with the compromise bill that came out mm-hmm. of the Congress. I mean, one, there shouldn't be any laws that are that long. I mean, yeah. what does it need to be 1,200 pages for? I mean, that's just so people don't read it. Yep. yep. What we need to do is we need a constitutional amendment to make a rule that it's five pages in appendixes. It has to be five pages, and then you can, if you have to put lists of stuff, put them in appendixes, but five pages of text is all the more you're allowed. Mm-hmm. And then people could read the law, and we wouldn't have to sit there and listen to one side tell us what's in it and the other side tell us what's in it. Right. Because, you know, they didn't read it either. Nobody knows what's in it. <laughs> so the national emergency thing, the National Emergency Act, was a good thing because it lets presidents deal with stuff whenever the Congress isn't doing its job. And that our Congress is not doing its job right now. Now, um, I'm not even just going to take shots at the Democrat Party right now because we've got a lot of Republicans in there that um, are still waiting for that puberty periods for their uh, manhood to drop on this. Yep. And what we need to do is start looking at this. And then President came out and said, okay, I'm declaring a national emergency. Is it constitutional? Yes. Adam Schiff is probably completely wrong. I mean, there's probably some is. judge. <laughs> yeah, they'll, get, they'll get some judge to agree with him out in Hawaii or something. But what I wrote about today was – Hawaii doesn't have jurisdiction. California doesn't have jurisdiction because any, according to Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution, which, and not the amended part that was amended by the 11th Amendment, so this is, this is original text that's still good. Any time that a state is party to a case, it should be heard as original jurisdiction by the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court has gotten away from this tradition, and it's gotten away from its duty. Mm-hmm. It would rather do the judicial review stuff than actually do their original jurisdiction. But if they sue, they have to either sue the president of the United States, one of his executive offices, which would be the ministers that are mentioned in there, both foreign and domestic, or it would have to sue the United States itself. And one of the things that people have gotten in the habit of saying is the United States of America. That's actually not the proper terminology. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. It's these United States of America. Mm-hmm. Because every state has its own sovereign authority. We're not like the European countries where each state is a slave to the crown. We have our own individual authority. And like if New York wants to cut its state in half and uh, cut off part of the state, or if Illinois wants to separate in two, or California wants to separate in two, they have the right to have this. And for these state courts to be denying these um, certiorari requests, are ridiculous because this should be at the Supreme Court. If a citizen saying my state is breaking 
the law and violating my rights. They are making all of our representatives liberal, which is a problem you guys are facing. That mm-hmm. they're, New York City is just dominating your state. It's like Philadelphia does in our state. The people have the right to go to the country and say, hey, this isn't right. West New York doesn't agree with East New York. We don't agree with the city. We don't agree with Brooklyn anymore. We need to separate. We all want to be part of the same country, but we just don't want to be part of the same state because they're, they're crazy down there. Mm-hmm. And whenever we start to realize that states are their own sovereign power, that means that regardless of whatever judicial gymnastics the Democrat Party goes through to sue, because they're not going to sue directly. They're going to have the ACLU sue. They're going to have some, stu- some citizen groups sue. As long as it's suing the president of the United States or the United States or one of the executive ministers, it still should be heard by the Supreme Court, which means that that judge in Hawaii that gave the injunction for the travel ban, he didn't have jurisdiction. He shouldn't have been hearing that case. The judge in um, California that ruled on all those Obama cases shouldn't have had jurisdiction. And that we need to start enforcing that. And we need to say, okay, yeah, you guys on the left coast, you have you have your own little world you live in. But the rest of the country, that entire red area that they call flyover country, we have a voice too. I mean, our ancestors went and fought in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, War 1812, World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam, everybody's family has bled for this country. We need to give those people the rights. We need to give all people that right. And we um, probably need to start calling for an electoral college at the state level. Mm-hmm. And people get really mad when you say that. And Colorado is passing that completely unconstitutional <laughs> law that directly violates the constitution saying that they're going to take away the electoral college in Colorado, which is, I mean, it just shows that they don't read the constitution. They don't care about it. And that Colorado needs a new represent- representation that actually cares what their voter says. And if we can push this case into the Supreme Court, that's where it belongs. And it's not going to be the politics deciding it, because even though there are extreme right side judges and extreme left side judges on the court, um, I didn't really like Kagan whenever she was elected, or not elected, but appointed, but she's, she's following the law. Like, I mean, she's, she's been a constructualist, which I don't like that format, but I'm a constitutionalist, but she's staying within the framework and she's voting with the way that she sees the law as. Um, and I think that's what we need to see is a bunch of people interpreting this because is this a national emergency? I agree with the president on it, but there's a lot of people that don't agree with us. We need to put that before the court. We need to have the question defined and we need to have it answered and we need to do it the way that the Constitution told us to do it, not just sit out here and vote on it in the court of public opinion, but actually have the Republic do its job and have the Congressman do its job. Right. Well said. Uh, so, so you can catch uh, Dr. Smith Meyer's book, The Criminal History of the Democrat Party on Amazon. We're going to be linking to that uh, in the description of this episode and also check out what, what was the website with your with your blogs? Um, uh, it's actually not a blog website. It's actually a new news website. It's, um, uh, new right network out of Washington. Okay, cool. So, so, so check them out there as well, but thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me guys. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. All right. Have a great night. Take care. 
Hey everyone, it's Evan from Empire State Conservative Network. Please check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Also, check us out on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on YouTube at Empire State Conservative Network, on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, and on Twitter at Empire State Cons. Also, check out our store at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash store for all current and future merchandise to help melt the snowflakes in your life. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom.